So uh, we were testing the newsable Instagram audience's politeness yesterday, weren't we? Not that we doubted them. No. We asked, do you thank the bus driver? Tractor we poll up after a study in the UK found that bus drivers do like getting thanked or greeted. A hundred percent of you said yes. And just to put that into context, only 20 to 25 percent of people in the UK greeted and or thanked the bus driver when they get off, off buses. Even when there was a sign there saying, please thank your bus driver... Uh, or say hello to your bus driver because they like it. Uh, I think that only increases like something like three out of ten. Is that right? Yeah, two out of ten without a prompt. Three out of ten with a prompt. I mean, uh, this person has driven you from A to B. Sure, you've exchanged money. Sure, it's their job. But like, they've got you to where you need to go. And it's like it's like the violation of a social contract. You know, huh? like the social contract that when you get into a taxi, you have to say, you "Had a busy night." Yeah. Anyway, well done, usable audience. Uh, you affirmed what we already knew about you, which is that you're a great bunch. So uh, give yourselves a pat on the back. Anyway, let's get to the show today. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. The National Party has unveiled its tax policy, the so-called back pocket boost. But do the numbers make sense? Tover O'Brien's in to tell us. Our resident BNZ economist has taken a look at his crystal ball and is here to tell us what it says about the job market and the retail industry in the near future. Science has weighed into the age-old battle of boys versus girls. You're going to want to hear this hot-off-the-press research. And what is it about workplace-based TV shows that seems to utterly capture our attention? We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The argy over where the money will come from and whether all the sums are correct has emerged after National revealed its $14.6 billion tax package. The plan would leave households between $20 and $250 better off a fortnight and a minimum wage earner would get less than a median wage earner. But National's leader pushed back on suggestions he was leaving the less well-off behind. Full-time minimum wage workers are going to get $20 a fortnight of relief. That is $20 more that they will get under National than Labour. Uh, it's certainly a lot more than two cents on some carrots and some beans. Under a national government, the Auckland fuel tax would also go and landlords would get a boost by being allowed to claim back more tax deductions. But how would it all be paid for and what are the other parties saying about these plans? Stuff's chief political correspondent is Tova O'Brien. She's been following along with the day's debate and joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora, guys. First reactions here, any surprises for you? I think just in terms of, well, we finally learned how they're going to pay for this. So that's been the the kind of wild speculation around Parliament, particularly after National's finance spokesperson said there were going to be these four new revenue streams. So actually learning how the National Party plans to pay for this enormously expensive tax cut policy, $14.6 billion over four years. That was kind of the big surprise. So the fact that they're going to be taxing foreign buyers, that there's going to be an immigration levy, those were a couple of surprises in there. Uh, And also the extent of some of the cuts as well with the public service. And uh, we knew about consultants and contractors, but also some cuts to, or some reprioritisation from the ETS Climate Fund 
into Kiwi pockets. So the National Party hates uh, that that fund is used for what it calls corporate welfare. So subsidies for steel and things to decarbonise. The National is going to be kind of moving away from that and trying to put that money back into pockets. So th- those were some of the surprises, I suppose, just in terms of finding out where they were going to get this enormous sum of money from. And I think a lot of surprises to come as well, given that Labour is already out there saying that there are fiscal holes are plenty, that these are voodoo costings. So when the finance minister gets his calculator out, when he gets back up to the seventh floor and finds some more of those fiscal holes, because at the moment they're just kind of voodoo fiscal holes, uh, I think there'll be a few more surprises to come yet. Are there any initial indications that these things will even work? Yeah, so I mean there's a lot of criticism around this. So the cuts to the public service going a lot further, Labor says that that will start cutting into the meat and bone of the public service, um, they're dipping into the climate fund. Labor says that's a terrible idea because we need that money to invest into climate policies. And then the revenue streams are potentially fraught for nationals. So ditching the foreign buyer ban um, and putting in place a foreign buyer tax, that could potentially lift house prices. National says it won't. Labor says it absolutely will. In terms of the online gambling tax, that's notoriously difficult to implement. So I think the National Party is saying they'll pull in about $180 million from this, whereas the government's saying there's a $150 million fiscal hole. It just doesn't bring in that much cash. And how are other parties reacting then as well? Yeah, well, the ACT Party um, says it's to left, that it quote-unquote sees red when it looks at the National Party's tax plans, whereas the Greens are saying it's far too right, that it doesn't do enough for low uh, low-income earners, the Labour Party just says, is trying to blast holes right the way through it and says that its plan is more targeted, that its plan that's kind of geared more towards families, that that's going to better serve New Zealanders. And today is the day. Parliament is formally wrapping up. It's full campaign mode from here on out. What's the vibe in the halls of power? Oh, she's tense. She's very <laughs> tense. It's been like that all week, actually, and even even last week, so these last couple of weeks of the parliament, and you can tell that the leaders of all the parties, the MPs, in fact, are just champing at the bit to get the hell out of this place mm-hmm. and start tearing each other to shreds on the campaign trail, get rid of their kind of government robes and just wear their Labour Party hats and national, uh, and national ditto, just get out of here and get scrapping. Toby O'Brien, thank you very much for your time, as always, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you so much, guys. We're talking workplace-based TV a little later, and you can probably guess what I'm about to ask you. Get in touch. Tell us your favourite workplace-based TV show, and try saying workplace-based five times fast. Is it Parks and Rec? Is it Law and Order? Because technically that's also a workplace-based TV show. You can find us on TikTok or Insta, search Newsable NZ. And if you want to go old school, you can send us an email. If you've got a whole list of them, of course, newsable at stuff.co.nz. Kia ora, Aotearoa, and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello, everyone. Each week, we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round, and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential, even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. Elections always seem to generate a bit of economic uncertainty, a wee bit of the old wait and see, but other reports are also suggesting a less than rapid bounce back in New Zealand's economic well-being, with the International Monetary Fund talking about tepid growth. So we thought we'd take a look at two areas close to our hearts, the job market 
and retail. We're joined by BNZ's Chief Economist Mike Jones for this week's The Pulse. G'day Mike, how are you going? Kia ora team, going very well, thank you. We've talked about how the job market appears to be changing, but what's happening with wages? Yeah, I mean wage growth has been strong, but probably not strong enough overall to keep up with inflation. So if you're finding you can get less stuff with your weekly pay packet, you're, you're probably not alone, particularly when it comes to food. Although, you know, those people that have managed to use the strong labour market we've seen over the past sort of 18 months to change jobs or work more hours or get a pay rise, we have seen earnings, once you add those things in, roughly come out about the same as inflation. But that's about as best as we've, we've got keeping keeping pace with inflation. But Things are, you know, starting to change now. Some of that is employers perhaps rethinking employment intentions they face into the softer economy. But the vast majority is that big lump of extra labour supply we've talked about coming from from higher population growth. So yeah, I think we are seeing a bit of a power shift, perhaps, from employees back towards employers. So if you're out there having a look around, you might find a little bit more competition for jobs than we might have seen, say, 12 months ago. You know, with the high cost of living pressure, cutting back spending has been something that I suppose, you know, the Reserve Bank has kind of engineered. But how has that trickled through to the retail sector? How are outlets faring at the moment? The thing that really jumps out when it comes to looking at the retail sector is this wedge from inflation. So if you look at dollars spent, the cash leaving our wallets, that's actually still relatively solid. It's up about 5% in the past 18 months. But if you look at what we're getting for that spending, like the volume of of stuff leaving retail outlets, it's going backwards at quite a rate of knots, so down 7% over that same period. So this is the old inflation story where you're sort of spending more but getting less for it. We think that retail recession's got a bit more to run because if you look at the mortgage refixing data, there's still a bit to go in terms of people refixing onto higher rates. About 30% of all mortgages will refix over the next six months onto generally higher rates. So that belt tightening that's happening in the, amongst households uh, is going to get a little tighter. Is the inflation rate proving to be stickier than we thought? Is it slowing down, heading downwards? What are we... Well, what, are we, what do you got? It's, it's looking sticky. It was always going to be tough to get inflation back down or as quickly as we might all like. So I think, though, what we can perhaps be a bit more confident about relative to a few months ago, is that it will come down. I mean, it's probably still a story mostly for, for next year, but if I step back and think about, you know, what are the top three things that are changing around the economy? I guess number one is the labour market is easing, as we've just talked about. Number two is probably the, the issues we talked about last week in China and what that means around our primary sector. And the third is the fact that, just generally speaking, the economy is looking a little bit more wobblier by the day. Now, all of those Things are difficult from an economic perspective, but they will help bring inflation down. I'm sure that we can all look forward to some level-headed, intelligent rhetoric around this as the election nears as well. Mike Jones from BNZ, thank you very much for your time as always. Thanks, team. Pleasure. We're talking girls versus boys, men versus women, and what science has recently found in the medical space straight after this. But while you're here, if you're enjoying what you are hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us as well. Are you ready for a riddle? 
Yes. Yes. Apparently 40 to 70% of people can't figure this one out. That is a statistic that I found on a website called mcsweenies.net. Don't know how accurate it is, and it was also from back in 2017. Anyway, riddle me this. A father and son get into a car crash and are rushed to hospital. The father dies. The boy is taken to the operating room. The surgeon walks in and says, I cannot operate on this boy because he's my son. How is that possible? Okay, so just to give you a wee peek behind the newsroom <laughs> curtain here, Imogen like, showed me this riddle before we recorded. But she, I, and I'd seen it before, but I didn't know the answer. Um, but I knew that it was a trick answer. And so I was like, how is this possible? Is it... Is the surgeon gay? Mm. Uh, is he, you know, is, is he just misinformed on the obligations of surgeons at mm. moments of crises like this? No, of course it's not. It's that the surgeon is a woman. Exactly. So the surgeon is the mum because the surgeon is a woman. And would you believe I have the segue of all segues right now? The reason I riddled you that riddle is because a Canadian and US study of more than one million Canadian patients who underwent surgery found those treated by female surgeons were less likely than those treated by male surgeons to have post-operative problems 90 days and one year after surgery. Post-operative problems referring to death, hospital readmission or major medical complications. So basically... According to the study, female surgeons are better than male surgeons. So, moral of the story here, peer-reviewed study says girls rule, boys drool. <laughs> they should have used that as the title. You should have quickly email them. <laughs> Bizarrely, the study didn't provide the reasons why. This is, a, this is word for word, an excerpt from the study. Exactly why women make better surgeons than men and what could be done to bring male surgeons up to the standards of their female colleagues should be the subject of further study. Surely they could have continued the study, you would think? Yeah, you'd think once you'd got that result, you'd continue it, eh? And you'd be like, yeah. let's hold on to these results and, 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 and dig, dig a bit deeper. So they did lay out that their objective simply was to find out if there was a link between surgeon sex and long-term post-operative patient outcomes, which is what we've got. I'm Tova O'Brien, and this week on the Tova podcast from Stuff, an interview with Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. We met at Central District's Field Days to talk tax, police pay, Ruby Tui, and his political value judgments. Oh, and we heard his verdict on the conversation too. Not that he meant us to. All that plus the winners and losers of the week with Andrea Vance, Luke Malpass at the Labour Party caucus retreat and your feedback. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Kakite. So we spoke to BNZ Mike about the job market and now we're going to combine that with something we've not talked about in a while, which is television, because how good are work-centric oh, TV shows. Yes. No, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, I feel like we've seen the ultimate rise and boom lately of telly based on workplaces, like Succession, obviously, mm. Superstore, The Morning Show, and I'll admit I've not seen this one, but I've only heard and read great things. Yeah. The Beer. So I've seen The Beer. The Beer is sensational TV, highly recommend. See, workplace-based telly. So long-time friend of Newsable, Stuff's film and TV reviewer, James Crutes, here to talk to us all about them. Welcome back, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Yes, workplace comedies. Uh, I was interested in this and the fact that they're trying to push a, a renaissance. I'd probably call it a disney naissance uh, here yeah. because the two that they're really pushing at the moment, I guess, are Abbott Elementary, set in a school, and The Bear, obviously, <laughs> set in a restaurant or a greasy spoon, depending on uh, which way you want to look at it. But to be mm. honest, the workplace comedy has been a staple since Mary Tyler Moore and I think if you think of the most beloved sitcoms, American, of all time, they're all workplace comedies. MASH, yeah. Taxi. I could be wrong here, but I think the only time where the workplace comedy has been sort of superseded was the 80s. But that was the time when you mm. had things like Family Ties, Home Growing based. Pains, The Cosby <laughs> Show, all those sort of family-based things. We're not seeing so many of the mob bosses the drug dealers, you know, your Tony Sopranos and your, your Walter Whites and so on and so forth. And now it seems as though things are sort of turning on their head a wee bit towards more mundane occupations, or am I inventing something there? Well, I'm not sure, because if you look, look at legal dramas slash dramedies, mm. okay? So that's gone in fits and starts. So you have L.A. Law, which was very much uh, a, a drama. You have Law and Order, which is very much a drama. But then L.A. Law was followed by Ally McBeal, which was a far lighter thing, but it was essentially the same kind of show. <laughs> Why do you reckon we love these workplace-based TV shows so much? Is it escapism? Is it seeing, like, almost what Emil mentioned, the mundane... Escaping from our boring lives into someone else's boring yeah, into life. into someone else's. <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of that, but I think it's also an identification of personality types. Like, you don't necessarily identify with the characters, but you might, but you identify other people who might be the characters. I mean... Everybody knows a kind of Cliff Clavin from Cheers. You know, the, the person who can tell the most boring, boring stories in the world. Okay, James, this is going to be a tough one for you. Favourite and only one favourite work-centric telly show. So, so one's a medical drama, ER, unrivaled, just amazing, launched so many magnificent careers, um, the other one would probably have to be The Good Wife just because of the way it twisted and turned and its ability to predict what a hot-button issue was. Good recommendations there. Uh, they're wrong, of course. Uh, the Americans is the best work-centric TV show in recent years. Thanks for trying, James. No, always a joy having a chat to you. Thank you very much for your time. i got to say, when I came into this, my, my favourite workplace-based TV show was going to be a little bit of a loophole and I was going to say criminal minds because technically there's workplace based because they're all criminal figuring out mindy people. But <laughs> until James Croup pulled up Faulty Towers. Oh, yeah, Faulty Towers has got your vote. That would have to be ah, yeah. my favourite ever workplace based TV show. It is a crime that there were only ever 12 episodes of that. I like that there are only 12 episodes of that. Yes, I know, but you just. I know what you mean. Wah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So good. Anyway, let us know your favourite uh, workplace-based TV show. You know where to find us on Insta and TikTok. But actually, speaking of workplaces, it's time for us to leave our workplace because I think <laughs> that is today's episode for today. Uh, I'm Emil Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells, and I will forever be trying to get a segue in like you just did, even though I'd had quite a good one with surgeons. I think you've just taught me that. I think your surgeon's always better. Thank you. Anyway, thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.